0: Swim Talkers, and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week I chat to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. On today's podcast, I sat down with Dr. Lynn Marshall, who has multiple FINA World Records to her name and is one of the youngest master's inductees into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. And interestingly, and very inspiring for everyone out there listening, she overcame some significant injuries from a cycling accident to get back to the top of her swimming game. It's a wonderful swimming journey and explained beautifully from the very humble Lynn. Please enjoy. Thank you, Bob. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Danielle. Lovely to speak to you.
0: Yeah, lovely to meet and connect. It's really good. Where are you coming to us from today?
1: Uh, I'm in Ottawa in uh, in Canada, the, the uh, nation's capital.
0: Yeah. And did you, I know you were born in England when you, yes. when, how old were you when you moved to Canada?
1: Um, we, I was six when my family moved um, to Winnipeg from Northern England. Yeah. Right. Yes, I
0: read your dad was born in Norfolk, as was mine, actually.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, yes. And that's how I got my name because he was born in Kings Lynn. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm named after my father's birthplace. So you can go oh, through wow. all the places where it's very lucky my father wasn't born, or I would have very <laughs> weird names. <laughs>
0: sure? <laughs> well, my dad was born in Norwich, so I'm glad I'm not okay. called Norwich. <laughs> <laughs> and have you managed to get a swim in the last few days?
1: Um, yeah, swam this morning.
0: Yeah, yeah. and where where is your your main pool that you swim from in Ottawa?
1: Uh, I swim at the Carleton University pool most of the time. I um, coach there and I, I teach at Carleton University in software engineering. And uh, that's where I usually swim. It's like five minutes walk from where I live. So it's wonderful.
0: Perfect. And is that indoor, outdoor, yards, meters? What are we dealing with? It's,
1: it's an indoor um, six lane, 50 meter pool normally set up as two 25 meter tanks. And especially now during COVID, we haven't had it set up as long course for quite a long time because you're not allowed as many people in a long course lane as you are in two short course lanes. So
0: yeah, of course, of course. How, how did COVID affect your swimming in
1: Canada? Oh, it's, it's been, it's been a challenge for everybody. Um, The pool has been shut down four or five different times now, I think. So when everything first shut down in March of um, 2020, I'd actually just been sick for most of the two months before that, so I'd done not very much training, unfortunately, and then the world shut down, and of course in March, um, here it's too cold to do any outdoor swimming. Basically, the pools didn't open until quite late, I think end of July or something that summer, so I did more open water swimming than I'd done, than in a while, once it was warm enough to, to get in and swim there, and then it seems like it's just been a few months on, a few months off, a few months on, a few months off. The latest reopening was um end of January. So we've been back in since since then.
0: Right. And do you train by yourself or with a master squad or um do you have a coach? What's your setup there?
1: Um well I I swim normally six times a week. And right now, two of those are usually with the the varsity swim team that I'm also the assistant coach and manager for. Um two are with a um, triathlete group that, um, that trains at the pool. Um, one is with our masters group on Saturday mornings and the group that I coach, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. And then Wednesday morning, I, I usually swim in the public swim. So it's a bit of, a bit of everything, a bit of yeah. everything. Oh, it's certainly to get in fun. my, to get in my swims. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It certainly works for you. That's fantastic. We're going to talk about all those swims as well. But I I wanted to also find out a little bit about your early swimming days. How did you first come to find swimming and find that love for the water?
1: Well, um, I grew up in Winnipeg and um, my parents felt that it was very important for us to take swimming lessons. And uh, when my brother was a baby, so I would have been eight, um, my parents bought a cottage and It was right near the Yacht Club. So we were at the beach and at the Yacht Club a lot. So they felt it was very important that we all learn to swim. So at that point, I was already taking swimming lessons. And um, the Red Cross then had just four levels, beginner, junior, intermediate and senior. And I got my seniors when I was 10. And at that time, there was nothing you could do until you were 14 when you could do your bronze medallion. And my parents felt, well, since I was enjoying the swimming that, you know, they'd find out what else was was available. So they found out about the, the Manitoba Marlin swim team that trained at the, the University of Manitoba, not too far from where we lived. And my father worked on the campus there. And uh, my mother was very surprised that they, they said, oh, well, she can come and do a trial. And um, she thought that it was a trial to see if I was good enough, but it was actually more the other way around. It was a trial to see if they were willing to to continue to send me, right, willing to pay the money money for me to go, so I started swimming there um, three times a week, and, you know, then I got, as I got a bit older, it went up to, you know, six times a week, and then nine times a week, but it was actually quite funny, because um, my coach then was convinced that I was a 100% pure sprinter, which was honestly mainly because, I mean, I kind of liked it, and I I liked the swim meets, but I didn't really like the training back then, so... (laughs) It appeared that I was a sprinter probably because I didn't apply myself as much as I as I could have done in, in, the, uh, in the workouts. In the, in the long so,
0: distance ones.
1: Yeah, so I was a 50 freestyle or 50 free, 100 free were, were my events until uh, partway through university when um, I finally had to admit I was better at the longer, <laughs> the longer
0: things. It's such a blow when you have to admit that, isn't it? Because you know that there it was, was, it was... It was,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now I, I sort of embrace the uh, the training of a distance swimmer, but that was not the case when I was younger.
0: <laughs> and when you when you embrace the uh, the training of a distance swimmer, how far do you now swim in a, in a session?
1: Um, probably averages about five kilometres, something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, so that's quite a lot of K that you're doing over a week, so something like 30K. And are you mixing in a little bit of strength work on land yeah
1: um I haven't gone back to the gym since uh since covid um I well I I went a few times when the gym first reopened and I just didn't feel as safe there as I felt on the pool deck because when I'm on the pool deck I basically know everybody I'm swimming with and I have a pretty good idea of you know um that that they're being safe whereas at, at the gym you know um there was you know more people at the gym than in the pool and I just didn't feel you know that it that everybody there was taking the same precautions that I was. Yeah. So um I have a little very small home gym set up. So I just try to do a little bit of strength training and um, you know, a little bit of stretching every day along with along with the swimming.
0: Yeah. That's and that's... a bit of
1: rehab for my my leg that I broke last summer. So
0: <laughs> Oh dear. Okay, well, you've got it. We've got a lot of injuries that you, we need to talk about.
1: Uh, well. Yeah, How I think the, all of us that are still swimming at this age have a lot of injuries I in our so past.
0: How did the leg break come about? What happened there? Oh,
1: I was uh, my first trip uh, since COVID had started last uh, the end of July. I was um, just walking across campus to the bus stop to go to the airport um, to visit my mother in Victoria, um, BC, way out west of Canada, and. Um, rolled my ankle crossing some grass and you know I thought oh it's it's just sprained but um, it's you know it was really swelling up and uh, really quite painful and then after I was in out with my mom for a couple of days I finally went to the hospital and I'd broken my fibula so spent the spent the time with my mom in in one of those boots, one
0: of those boots. <laughs> yes.
1: yes. Yeah, and on crutches. But we try not to let it slow me down uh, too much. And and um, I was allowed to swim. I was allowed to take the boot off to swim. So I got I discovered how challenging and tiring it is to do turns on one foot. Oh yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> oh, I've got a similar story. I was out a few years ago. I was out doing a, a run before um our nationals it was about two weeks out and i was so looking forward to going i thought oh, i'll get another yeah. last run in and same kind of thing i there was a few autumn leaves around and i and it was yeah. sort of covering a little dip in the path and i put my oh. foot on it and did the same thing yeah. rolled and yeah broke, yeah fractured the the bottom of um yeah, my ankle, but there was a lot of soft tissue damage as well, and
1: yeah,
0: I was in a moon boot as well, and doing one foot yeah. and yeah, it took a while to get the flexibility back. I think that's the main thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm still doing my ankle exercises a few times, a few times a week, just to try to keep that up. And yeah. I mean, I was not a good kicker before this happened, so <laughs> it's like it has not improved my kicking. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I rely on my kick, so I really need that ankle. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, talk us um, talk us through when you um, set that very first um, FINA world masters world record when you were twenty four. You went back to England to do some study. How did the, yes. you go to that competition yeah. and what led up to that?
1: Um, well, so I swam all through my undergrad at the University of Waterloo here in Canada. So uh, when I went over to England, I assumed they'd have sort of a similar a similar setup, um, but the swim team wasn't quite at the same level as it is here in Canada they had one hour of pool time twice a week where the first 30 minutes was swimming and the second 30 minutes was water polo that was kind of that was kind of how it worked there and um so I found uh an age group team to train with that was right by the the campus so I was I was training with them and um I had a couple of friends uh, who I knew through the university who had mentioned about master's swimming you know and how you had to be 25 and um trying to think was yeah I guess it was in Leeds uh the, the 50 meter, one of the few then 50 meter pools in uh, in England uh went to this competition in Leeds and swam the 200 free I guess it was and um afterwards the one of the women I know came up to me and she says oh that was a world record <laughs> and I'm like what world record I didn't know I didn't even know there was such a thing and it's actually quite ironic because um you know they did all the paperwork I didn't have to do anything whereas um, Canada is a lot better than it used to be but you know when I first came back to Canada and started swimming, um, getting records approved was was just a nightmare because you know the whole they hadn't measured the pool or the person who was supposed to send in the paperwork had gone on vacation, and if you don't send it in within 60 days, it it's not accepted so um, I think I have the world record for the most world records that have been rejected due oh, to no. uh, paperwork issues. And, you know, and when it's a 1500 and someone says, oh, just swim it again, it's like a 1500. It's, it's not like that. <laughs> it's, it's not really tempting, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have to mention another sort of claim to fame that I think I have is that I think I'm one of the few people in the world who's actually managed to do 10 years of university swimming because I did five years in Canada. And in North America, five is the limit that you could do. But when I went to the UK, what I didn't realize is they have a completely different system. So they don't care how many years you've already done. So I did three years while I was in grad school in England. And then I was doing postdoc in Belgium. And it turns out that in Belgium, even though I wasn't really a student because I was doing postdoc, I was allowed to swim for the university team. So I got two more years there. Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> so 10, 10 years of university swimming and that which overlapped a bit with, with my mast, with yeah. masters. Yeah.
0: So yeah. when when you were at uni in Canada, um, was your university part of the NCAAs or does Canada have its own particular Canada
1: has its its own um, organization. Now it's called U Sports. Back then it was called um, CIAU Canadian Intercollegiate Athletic Union, and then it became CIS Canadian Interuniversity Sports, and now it's called U Sports. That's the right. new the, the new thing. So yeah, it's um, you know similar to the NCAAs but nowhere near as many as many teams, and it's all it's all just one tier, so, right? Yeah.
0: And how is that different from what you experienced in England and Belgium? What's what's the college system like there?
1: Um, well, they. They didn't they don't seem to be quite as strict with the rules because here to swim, you know, because I'm still involved with the varsity team every year. Everybody has to fill in all this paperwork that they're a full time student and that they've only swum, you know, this many years at other universities. And, you know, it's all confirmed by the athletics department. Whereas, like I said, when I was in Belgium, even though I was doing postdoc research, you know, I wasn't you know i was i was getting paid a salary as a research assistant as opposed to you know paying money to to <laughs> to be a student i was still allowed to swim for swim for the university so obviously it was a little bit different but but i was joking that you know when i when i um sort of left canada i was probably um to you know to go over to to europe i was probably about um, 20th in the country and then in England at that time I was about 10th and then got to Belgium and I was about fifth so I figured I had to go to like Liechtenstein or <laughs> Luxembourg somewhere somewhere smaller keep going to smaller and smaller countries and eventually I would uh, you know
0: <laughs> be
1: somewhere where I could you know make the top two or whatever but yeah it was funny
0: <laughs> your career sounds like it's taking you all over the place what's your current position where you are at Carlton College
1: um so I am an instructor a full-time instructor teaching software engineering mostly first and second year programming courses um up until last July for 20 years I was a um contract instructor so um finally it took took 20 years but I finally got a full-time position so a little bit more security which is which is nice that's and yeah. yeah and before that I was um I worked for Nortel, which was one of the high tech companies in Ottawa that uh, went under about 20, 20 years ago. So right. I, I left high tech and moved to university. Then
0: yeah, and then with all your swimming on top of that, I don't know how you, you get time to even have a minute to relax. <laughs>
1: Sound like you have a very yeah. well. I think I think all swimmers develop good time management skills from back when we were kids and school and swimming and everything. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. I agree do you get um most of your swims in in the morning
1: yeah i prefer i prefer to get to swim in the morning these days it fits better and fits better in my schedule monday wednesday friday i swim and then i coach right after so that that works out that works yeah out well.
0: yeah absolutely and let's have a bit of a talk about some of these wonderful FINA world records that you've set which is um you know well over 50 up to 100 um, and some of them have obviously haven't even been counted. I wanted to ask you about one of your most recent ones, which was the eight hundred freestyle that you did, um, age sixty one, which was just under ten minutes. It's an amazing, phenomenal swim. <laughs> How did you set yourself up for that record last year?
1: Well, in that that competition in November was first competition in two years, right? Because we hadn't had any competitions because of COVID. With most of our pools being indoor pools, um, it's much harder. than When it's outdoors, you've got much more space. It's a lot safer. So um, we just hadn't had a chance to have any competitions. And, you know, I went to the competition and I'd signed up for, I guess, four events. And, um, you know, people are, and I'd sort of tried to put in, conser- I usually try to put in conservative entry times. I don't like to put in like my best ever time. And of course, your best ever changes. <laughs> <laughs> changes as you get older too, right? Your That's age true. group, best time. <laughs> and, you know, so before the competition, a few people are saying, well, you know, how, how do you think you're, you're going to do? And I just had to say, like, I have no idea. Like I really just, just didn't know because the training had been so off and on. And, um, you know, I, i missed more swimming than I missed even when I broke my neck back in 1993. So, you know, and the off and the on part had been so tough. And, um, and mentally, as well as physically, like I know it's not just me, everybody had been struggling just like with the pandemic. And you know, is it safe to go to a swim meet? And you know, all, all of this. And yes. so I, I really had no idea. And my first event was the 200 free. And um, I was shocked at how slow <laughs> it was, right? And um, then my 200 back, and I was again disappointed. And then my 200 IM, which was even worse than the other two had been. And so then I had to do this 800 free. And of the of the like you know um, back a few years ago those time the times for all four of those events would have been doable for you know for me and but just you know with the pandemic and everything. Um, obviously they were out of reach for now so then i was thinking well the 800 free i didn't even know like if i was going to be able to come close to the time because i really really didn't know and some pools are set up so that you can see the electronic timing when you're swimming which for a distance is nice because you can kind of tell where you are but this pool um at least i could i wasn't able to see i wasn't able to see it and so i really had no idea um and you know so um at that point when I saw the time I was very happy because you know if you'd asked me the week before what time I thought I would do I would have been quite disappointed with with that time um because it was 25 seconds slower than what I did in the previous age group so you know um, a lot a lot slower but I think you know I have to be (laughs) realistic and just sort of you know understand that the pandemic has done a number on everyone, and can't expect to be where we were two years yeah. ago. So.
0: Absolutely. Well, the pandemic, and
1: also, you know, moving into the next age group, you do get older, and it is. Yeah, and to- I missed. You know, yeah. that was like usually I try to plan things so that I go to a whole bunch of competitions the very beginning of the year that I age up, and of course this was almost a year later, right? Because we hadn't had any competitions for the first the first part of the year, so I'm sure that didn't really help either but yeah. and you know it was nice to just break 10 minutes i mean 9 959.85 sounds a lot better than 10 minutes point yeah. point 1 yeah. so and oh, yeah. yeah yeah what's your race plan
0: when you approach an 800 how do you um like what's your process that you go through
1: um i'm generally pretty good at um pacing but so what i try to do um is every time i'm halfway through whatever's left so 400 600 700 750 775 try to sort of pick it up a little bit yeah. and i find if you think about doing that you can just about keep it keep it even and i was i was five minutes 459 so it, it was it okay. was the splits the, the splitting was good it's just yeah. the you know the overall i would have liked to have been being faster but obviously at this point in time that's not not too realistic so yeah, but I- yeah and that was true for all of my races they were all slower than I expected but the pacing was consistent it's not like I went out too slow and had lots of energy left or that I went out too fast and died that the, the splits were reasonable they just weren't where i would have liked them to be
0: (laughs) yes i know well i think that's a that's a common a common sort of outcry amongst masters it's never what you really wanted it to be but when you look back at it it's amazing that you've been able to do that that's good are you are you strong at your off the walls underwaters or no no? okay
1: i i don't kick off the wall at all honestly um i'm asthmatic i have asthma and um i find um You know, that I'm not a good kicker to start with. And um, if I do kick a lot, it just my heart rate just goes goes way up. And for something like an 800, um, it's not maintainable. I I know the elite swimmers in the world do kick off the walls for their for their distance events. But, um, you know, uh, what I've sort of learned as a coach um, is that everybody's different at the master's level. And for some people, the underwater kicks are for sure worth it and for some people it's it's just not worth it yes yes
0: no i think that's that's a really good point good advice um i think master swimmers need to play to their strength as much exactly. as all the other things on board as well but yes i yeah. think that's, that's very true
1: yeah and you said you you are good at the kicks, so for you you probably work on your turns and you know, I, get, I, do get
0: like, I do like the turns, but I do find when I'm racing that I, I can't maintain it over, you know, like a 200 or, or beyond yes. off the wall because I'm, I just get too tired. Exactly. Yeah, but I yeah. try to practice, but yeah, it's, a, it's a bit hard, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Mentioned your, um, you mentioned breaking your neck. I wanted to have a, a bit of a chat about that accident and how you recovered and got back to swimming because obviously you had a lot of success before that. But you've gone on to much more success afterwards. So talk us through how that accident occurred and how you recovered from it.
1: Yeah. So um, 1991, I started doing triathlons and I was never a serious triathlete. I was a swimmer who did triathlons because if I'd been serious about the triathlons, I would have had to swim less and uh, bike and run more. What? um so, but I, I did the triathlons you know just just kind of for fun and so 1993 would have been my was my third season of doing triathlons and um i was first out of the water and which was <laughs> sort of common and then i would just get passed by everyone on the bike but the very beginning of the bike um i was following the lead police car and a car pulled out in between the police car and and me and um then saw the police car and I was trying to, I, my bike, they'd done a bike check during the, um, in the transition zone, and my bike was in a very low gear, so I was trying to get it into the right gear, and, um, you know, by the time I realized the car was stopping, I, you know, slammed on my brakes, and I went over the handlebar and um, broke his, the car's brake lights with with my head, and um, my immediate instinct was to get out of the road, because you don't want to lie on the road, so I moved to the side of the road, and then, you um, the chain ring had cut my, my forehead. So I was, and, you know, scalps bleed a lot. So I was bleeding and, um, pl- the police woman came over and um, she said, well, you know, you should take your helmet off. And I knew I wasn't really supposed to take my helmet off, but I figured I'd already moved to the side of the road. So, you know, <laughs> okay, we'll take the helmet off. And, um, I asked if my bike was rideable. And they said, no, the back wheel is completely smashed. So you, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't continue riding. So then they said, okay, we're going to take you to hospital. And, um, <laughs> so uh, when you have, they put me in a neck brace that didn't fit and dropped me putting me on the backboard, it was a to- total comedy of errors, right. So then they get to the hospital and the first thing they do is they, um, they x ray, um, I guess through from the side and then through your mouth to to check the back of your, your, um, your neck and then they read those x rays and if they look, look okay they do one like this and they do one like this with your head tilted all the way back and your head tilted all the way forward and um i'm I'm like this really hurts and uh so they they told me i was fine and and sent me home and i guess it's standard practice this was a sunday standard practice that the head radiologist rereads all the x-rays on monday (laughs) so i'd stayed home on monday um and coincidentally i was supposed to go pick up a new car that day nothing to do it wasn't like i had a car accident it's just i was getting a new car and um so i i went out to get the new car, and I got home, and the answering machine is flashing, and the phone is ringing, (laughs) and it's the the head of emergency calling from the Kingston Hospital to say that I have a broken neck, and to go (laughs) straight to the hospital, and not to drive, and to, you know, so so anyway, so I get to the hospital, and this was kind of end of July, and it's, um, it was the the half staff week, where there's not very many people there, so, you know, he says, I'm going to phone ahead, let them know you're coming, tell them, so I get there, and I I I tell the woman at the desk, I have a Jefferson fracture of the C1 because he'd explained to me what it was. And, um, she says, well, I've never heard of that. And I go, well, I think it's important. Maybe you should write it down. But I guess what I hadn't realized is that people go into emergency departments and make stuff up all the time. Right. So, you know, here am I thinking she's going to take this seriously and, and nobody did, but so it took me six hours to get admitted and they wouldn't let me take any painkillers while I was sitting there. And, uh, yeah, so, um, I, w- I was actually very lucky because the whole week I was in hospital, I had one of those halo neck braces sitting by the foot of the bed, you know, those ones that screw into your your head. <laughs> and then at the very last minute, they went with a different brace where so I didn't have to have screws into my head. It just sort of sat here and sat there. And um, I was allowed to lower it to eat. <laughs> and I had to keep it on even to sleep, which is um, more challenging than sleeping in a moon boot. <laughs> yes, <I can> Imagine. <laughs> um, but. But yeah, so I was out for um, about three months, I had to keep the neck brace on. And um, I I couldn't, I couldn't swim, I was doing some stretch cords and trying to do a little bit of weights, but there's not much you can do when you can't move your neck at all. And uh, my first time when I was able to get back in the pool, the first time I tried to breathe, I I ended up tangled up in the lane rope because I couldn't really turn turn my head. So um, I had a lot of I've had a lot of physio and um, I see a chiropractor and my neck mobility is not great. um, But you know, I can swim. And, (laughs) um, you know, it's one of those areas, it's like any, any injury that you have, where where you if you're stressed out or tense, you know, I sort of feel it in my neck and through into my shoulder, because I've had tendonitis as well. But, um, but it, you know, doesn't really affect my swimming that much anymore. But of course, that was a long time ago now, right? 1993. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Wow! I I always joke
1: that I've that I haven't I haven't broken a minute in hundred free since I broke my neck.
0: Well, it's obviously changed your stroke a little bit with the breathing, has it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I never had the prettiest stroke to start with, but um, but yeah, it's it's not it's not pretty.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have you had to change your breathing pattern as well, or have you stayed with the same one?
1: coincidentally around about the same times I had I've had so much trouble with my my um, left shoulder I was a right side only breather for about 20 years and um, my left shoulder got so bad that I kind of had to learn to breathe on both sides for training but I still breathe only on my right when I when I race yes, um, yes. and it's probably my right side mobility that's a bit more impaired than my left mobility but um, I didn't deliberately change my breathing pattern because of because of the accident
0: just yeah. you know. And how do you psychologically come back from something like that and get yourself back into the water? Like what was your mindset during that time?
1: Well, at the time I was working in high tech and we had like an employee assistance program um, where you could go and talk to a lawyer. So I went to talk to a lawyer just to sort of ask about, um, you know, the accident and what had happened and whether it's worth, you know, trying to pursue anything. And the lawyer basically said that um, unless you're permanently disabled, you know, there's not really any point in pursuing anything. So um, I was determined I am not going to be permanently permanently disabled. So um, I wasn't worried about getting back in the water. Um, I didn't cycle for years though because the, the accident as it happened on the bike and so I was very very nervous about about cycling I, I bought a bike last summer and that's the first time I've actually had a bicycle since since then so um you know that was kind of that for me that was much more um, challenging than actually getting back in the pool um, I guess I just decided I just wanted to get back in and you know I wanted to try to get back to where where I had been and did it happened, and there was nothing I could do about it at that point. So you just have to sort of deal with it and and move on. So, you know, it, it, it took a while for, th- I mean, you know, I was getting older also, so my times never got back to quite what they were before, before when I broke my neck, but they weren't that different. Um, yeah. And then in 1999, I had uh, brachial neuritis, which is an inflammation of the brachial nerve in the, um, my back on the left side. And oh, nice. um, I lost all the muscle on my left side. Oh, my God. And, uh, had run yeah, up. it was it was just there. Was this totally freak thing. It just kind of happened out of nowhere. And um, I had this, you know, big pain in my back. And, um, you know, I, I took a couple of days off swimming because it was so sore. And then I went back in the pool. And I, I, I just couldn't figure out what was going on because I kept hitting the water with this hand and I, I realized I'd lost the, I couldn't move my arm any higher than this. So this motion for me able to go from, you know, sort of 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock was completely, completely gone. Wow. And, um, you know, I lost, like I said, I lost all, all the muscle. And so, you know, um, it took a long time to, to sort of build that back up. I was very a lopsided swimmer for for quite a while. And I still think my grip strength on my left is is not as good. I would try to hold my water bottle in my left hand and you you don't even realize suddenly it's in your right hand because your body knows your left hand just can't can't do yeah. it so i'm like wait a minute <laughs> yeah so, so that those were sort of the two the two big injuries and then yeah we talked a little bit about my my leg for last last year yes
0: yes and have you have you been affected by COVID at all yourself
1: you i think i had COVID, January, all January, February, March, 2020. So um, we had a training camp for the varsity team for the first time in many years down in Florida um, over New Year's uh, 2019, 2020. And um, I was on three flights on the way back um, home. And one of them, there was a man, um, not right next to me, but one over from that who was like visibly sweating and like feverish to the point where the flight attendants were asking him, like, "Are, are you okay?" And um, so we got back on January the 3rd and I got sick on January the 6th and I had pneumonia for two months straight. And I went through like two rounds of antibiotics and extra asthma medication and different asthma medication. And, um, you know, nothing, nothing was working. And um, I do have asthma, so I am prone to that sort of thing, but I get my flu shot every year. I've, I've had all the pneumonia shots and you know, and I, I think in hindsight, that was probably what I had. And I'd go up a flight of stairs and I like I'd just be like, you know, like I was going to die. And I get back in the pool and swim for a day or two and then, you know, take another some more time off. Like people are saying, we'll rest a bit more. And, um, you know, towards the end of this whole pneumonia thing, they started having the signs up on the at the campus um, medical place saying, know um if you've traveled to china you know don't come in and all the rest of it and and um, i've heard from some people that they think covid was actually starting to circulate around about us thanksgiving of 2019 so my theory is that i did that i did have covid then and i was so so sick for like for two months and i honestly don't think my breathing's ever really recovered from that
0: so wow okay that's interesting yeah
1: i i don't know maybe maybe uh maybe i'm wrong but you know i that's one of my theories as to one of the reasons why my 1500 is a minute slower than it was two years
0: ago <laughs> it could be one of the contributing factors for sure yes
1: exactly of course there's so many variables it's it's hard to say you're older there's you know yep. with the pools of being shut down um broke your leg <laughs> you know it's like yeah so yeah so lots, a lot lots of, of things down. going on yeah <laughs> going back
0: to your swimming if you look back over all the um the wonderful masters world records that you set what what would be the one that stands out to you as your you, you know your perfect race or the one where you felt like it didn't hurt
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? it's actually race. funny I was at I was at a swim meet just this past weekend and um you know, one of the women I was talking to, uh, she's a very good swimmer. And she was saying, oh, yeah, that you know, is it, her 100 free, that really hurt. And I'm going, well, everything, all races hurt. Isn't that, you know, isn't that the way it is? And she says, well, 50 fly doesn't really hurt. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think I would I think even when you have a good swim, you can always come up with way, things you could have done differently, could have done better. What's your what's the one that you your favorite one of the whole bunch? I think maybe I'm trying to think how old I would have been. Maybe when it was just after I turned. Well, actually, it wasn't the year I'd aged up. It was a year or two later. I think it was my 50 to 54 age group where I went to a new a pool I hadn't been to in uh, Montreal in Cote Saint Luc and um, the water was nice and cool and and it was a nice deep pool and um, it had been a while since I'd broken 18 minutes and um, I I did a 17:48 so I would I guess the other thing I haven't mentioned um, is that I've been getting um, vertigo when I do my long races. And so the 800 and 1500, the first time it happened was maybe like about 10 years ago, but I'd had trouble with my car and there was a theory that maybe I got some carbon monoxide um, before the race. But yeah, it was the strangest thing about 1200 meters into my 1500. It was like someone had turned on a wave machine. (laughs) Like you felt like, I felt like I was going up and down and up and down. And um, yeah, like, and you could see from my splits that the time suddenly went, you know, went a lot slower. And um, so that was another reason I was very nervous at that meet in November, because the last meet I the last time I'd swum a distance event. um, Two years ago, I went down to the the States. And yeah, I had very bad vertigo. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been to a specialist, um, you know, deals with concussions and vertigo, and they haven't been able to find anything that's that's wrong with me. You know, like she sort of says, like walk across the floor and then turn around and walk back and then turn around and walk back. I go, like I do 200 flip turns a day, like this, you know. And I, it, it only was happening when I was racing, so it obviously had something to do with the exertion level, and I, I don't know what, but um that's made me very very nervous about you know my long races now because you just don't know if that's going to happen so that was that was um one big relief that uh, my 800 in November and my 1500 a few weeks ago is that I didn't get vertigo so it was like absolutely no more thing to worry about yeah of course
0: <laughs> talk us through a training session that you would do at the current moment focusing on your longer distance swims so what what would that entail so that 5k what is it made up of
1: it really varies from from day to day on on the group that i'm training with Um, i don't like to do train only freestyle Um, i find it's you know hard on my shoulder so i do a lot of backstroke Um, i don't train full stroke fly hardly at all because it bothers my shoulders Um, so i do a lot of one-arm fly and um, I don't have the world's best knees, but I try to do a little bit of breaststroke as well, because for me, breaststroke is definitely the stroke that has the most room for room for improvement. Um, I think the sort of sets I enjoy most for sort of working on um, distance free are, you know, like sets of um, say 100s free on fairly short rest. For me, it seems that um, the best way to motivate me to go faster is to have less rest. Like most most people like to go with more rest and they're able to go faster. But for some reason for me, I I get motivated more if there's if there's less rest. So that's one thing that's been a challenge with the, the lack of training is you know trying to get back on being able to do hundreds on a on a faster a faster pace time. You know, like 130 used to be a piece of cake and you know, 130 is more challenging. So 125, you know, on a good day is doable. Um 120 maybe on a you know but not that many hundreds anymore but that's the type of set I of type of set I like to do
0: do you like yeah yeah that's amazing and you still you obviously you swim those longer distance freestyle events but you are you still racing your medley um 200 and 200 back as well
1: yeah yeah so um Two two weekends ago, um, I set the records in the 400 and the 1500. And then last weekend, I missed the 100 fly, 200 sorry, the 200 fly by 1.1. I missed the 200 back by 0. 0.75, but I got the 400 IM. So um, normally every year I try to swim all the events, but because you know we don't have as many competitions these days, I've been focusing more on the the longer ones. So the, for me, sort of the longer the the longer the better better yeah, yeah i also i also swam a 200 breaststroke last weekend but we won't talk about we won't talk about that <laughs> oh, yes let's not talk about that no for all those breaststrokers out there we love breaststroke <laughs> yeah so yeah i am convinced that you know from especially from coaching is breaststroke it either comes naturally or it doesn't and if right. it doesn't come naturally it is the hardest stroke to uh to, to teach someone if especially breaststroke kick if someone cannot sort of do that frog kick like motion it's very very hard to teach
0: yeah i i also have that that same theory and after teaching swimming to younger children you you see it kids that get in and have that frog kick when they're doing freestyle and they can't can't change to a freestyle kick no matter what you do and vice versa those kids who just can't get that breaststroke kick and it, it is it's very much the placement of the hips as well and you know, yes. a lot of pre-stylers and, and backstrokers have pigeon toes, and that yes. you know obviously helps with those two kicks as well. So, yeah, I agree. Exactly. Okay.
1: Yeah. And um, I think if you look at all the women who are good at breaststroke, they have very narrow hips. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was pretty good at breaststroke till you know, I was about 13 or 14 and my hips got wider <laughs> and uh, since then, not, not so good. And I've also noticed that breaststroke seems to run in families more than other strokes. Like if, if, one, if one sibling is good, a good breaststroker, usually their other swimmer siblings are, are good breaststrokers Okay, too.
0: I haven't noticed that, but I'll look okay. out for that. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's
0: good. Look, I like to ask everyone that comes on the, um, the podcast fast five questions, and so you can just say the first thing that pops into your mind. Favourite pool that you've ever swum at?
1: Um, I'll say the pool that I trained at when I was in, um, in Manchester in England. It was um, over 100 years old. Then in the uh, in the 80s and um, there were originally three pools and if you looked um, about on the brick outside the building it was males first class males second class and females and oh. they're they're trying to get it reopened that's the Victoria Baths on Heather Sage Road in Manchester they have fundraisers now going to try to get that open wow is that just sitting there derelict at the moment um they're they're using it for um events like um weddings and um I I went to a uh Manchester 21 Club that's their, sport, their sports club for the graduates um, a few years ago when they had the dinner there they put water in the uh, male's first class pool every once in a while for special events but they're trying to get it um, open sort of permanently yeah, there's also a good. Turkish bath in there it's, it's like crazy it's crazy wow place, yeah. yes yeah.
0: certainly one to put on the list to go and have a look at it sounds yes cool. yes and I think you've already actually answered these next two questions morning or afternoon training
1: um, I used to be an, af- well, I was a morning trainer um, as a kid and then afternoon trainer for a while and now back to sort of morning, yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. And obviously kick or pull.
1: Oh, pull. <laughs> pull pull. Right. every day of the week.
0: <laughs> do you just use a pull boy, boy, or do you put paddles and uh, ankle strap on as well?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't need an ankle strap because I, I am not the least bit interested in kicking if I don't have to. <laughs> so, and I don't ever use paddles because of my shoulders.
0: Right. So, yeah, yeah just,
1: so the just, just the pull boy, yeah.
0: What's your favourite freestyle drill?
1: Distance per stroke, I think, for me, is a good one because uh, for someone as tall as I am, um, I take more strokes than I should. So I'm always trying to work on my, my distance per stroke to get slightly fewer strokes per length. Yes. How tall are you? Uh, just under six feet right yeah okay. i say six feet i think i was six feet but uh, a little a little under that now maybe yeah <laughs> and favorite all-time training set i guess it's got to be the hundred hundreds yeah. hundred hundreds yeah. on 130. yeah
0: do you take a break or did you take a break when you did those or was it
1: just straight through no just straight through Straight through fantastic yeah we did that um january 2nd i think it was uh yeah that's the last time i did that it was organized by the city that uh, you know that you could you signed up and they had different lanes on different pace times. Yeah, yeah. fantastic.
0: Yeah. it has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you today and hearing about your master swimming journey, which is just um, a wonderful, wonderful tribute to you. Um, and wishing you every success with
1: your swimming moving forward. All right, thank you so much, Danielle. It was uh, lovely to chat with you.
0: Yes, yeah, same here. Okay, take care. All right. Okay, bye.
1: Bye. Thank you, Bob.
0: I hope you enjoyed my chat with lynn lots of wonderful lessons to learn from this chat but the main one that comes through for me is resilience that she had in never giving up and and even changing her stroke to accommodate her injuries that she had from her accident so just a a lovely chat and i really thank her for coming on the podcast don't forget to check out our new website You'll find us at torpedo.swimtalk.com. We've got a, a little subscriber button there to sign up for our newsletter. And then you can look forward to hearing about what's coming up on the podcast and on the website in the next few weeks. I'll be off at Master Swimming Australian Nationals next week. So the podcast will take a small break while I try and get some races back in the water. But we'll be back bigger and stronger than ever after that. Till next time. Happy swimming and bye for now.